You know, I'm not sure if you've had this experience or not, but unfortunately, it's been one that I've had more than once. Um, Denise will be baking something, and she's got all of her ingredients out and discovers that she needs more milk for whatever it is that she's going to be baking. So she asked me to go to the local Walmart to get a gallon. And so I walk into the store, and as I go in, the first thing I see is the deli, and I think, you know, I'd really like a fresh sandwich for lunch. And so I go over and I get some of our favorite lunch meat and cheese. Proceeding through what is now the fruit and vegetable section, I suddenly get this urge to get some of my favorite apples, so I get six of those. Then I know uh, that no sandwich is complete without some potato chips, and so I go into the snack aisle and I get a bag of those. Of course, I remember that I need to go into the bread aisle and I get the bread. I see a neighbor. We engage in a short conversation. And then I realize, yeah, we need something to drink. And so I go and I get us a six-pack of Diet Coke. At that point, I pay for everything. I leave the store. I load the things that I've purchased for lunch. And Denise looks at me and says, where's the milk? (laughs) At that point, I stand there silent for a moment. I do contemplate pointing out that I did get everything for lunch, but I conclude that doesn't explain why the milk is not on the counter. And so with a sheepish and rather humble, I'll go back and get the milk, I walk out the door, and as I'm leaving, I hear Denise say, would you like me to make you a list? You know, there's nothing wrong with getting things for lunch. Those were all good things. But the problem was this. I didn't remember the main purpose for going to the store in the first place. And the one main thing that Denise needed, I forgot. I got distracted by good stuff, by good things. But I lost sight of what was essential. And sometimes you and I can do that even as we're looking through Scripture. There's a lot of good things that we see in Scripture. They're important things. But it's important that we stop and recognize there are a handful of things that the Bible says, now these are essential. These are the things that are foundational. As we've been looking at this letter, we call Philippians, as we saw last week, that Paul began to move on from talking about himself at the beginning of the letter and saying this is what's going on as I'm here in Rome. And he turns his attention to talking about them and their lives and their situations that they're dealing with. And that he makes this turn at uh, verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1. And again from last week, we saw that Paul writes, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." We talked about the fact that that little word only means that here is the main essential thing. Let your lives or live your life in a way that honors the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we went on to talk about the fact that that means that you and I live as a a disciple of Jesus, remembering that we are members or citizens of his spiritual kingdom. Now, Paul started to unpack what that looks like in real life. First of all, by saying, let's, let's look at what this looks like in terms of the people around you. Let's look at what this looks like as you live facing out towards the world, toward the culture, towards the people who are outside of the church. 
How do we live in a way that honors the gospel of Jesus Christ in relation to them? And we saw that Paul said, first of all, we stand firm in the gospel, and then we stand together in unity, and we are prepared to suffer for Jesus Christ as we share his love and we share his gospel to the world around us. Well, now as we enter into chapter 2, Paul is going to turn around from looking out as far as our relationship to the world around us. And now he looks inward and he says, now let's talk about family. Let's talk about family for a while. What does it look like to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ in terms of our relationship with each other as believers? What what does that life look like when we are helping each other to grow as disciples of Jesus and we are living together as members of his kingdom? And so we've seen this is how we live towards the world, but how do we live with each other? And how do we interact within the church family? And we're going to see that as we do this, as we live the life that Paul is about to describe we will experience joy in unity. We experience joy in the Lord, but we can also experience joy in each other. And so we're going to unpack this morning exactly what this looks like, experiencing joy in our unity. Now, it's important that we understand that we're not talking about uniformity. Uniformity is gained by putting pressure from the outside on each other and saying this is exactly how you should be and act and these are the things you do and it's usually this list of of man-made expectations that we now place on each other and we try to be uniform and that's not what paul's talking about here in fact that's legalism what paul's talking about here in the area of unity actually comes from within ourselves and you can define unity this way it is our heartfelt desire to cooperate together with humility and respect, as we focus on the common goal of living for Jesus Christ in the kingdom. It's a heartfelt desire that comes from within us. And it's a desire to cooperate together and to to show one another humility and to show each other respect as we focus on a common goal that we share to live for Jesus Christ in His kingdom and to be able to do that together. And that's unity. So how do we harmonize our lives together as disciples of Jesus Christ? Because really what we're looking at can be really well illustrated by the the harmony achieved by a full orchestra that's creating this beautiful music that we hear all together and it's all of its harmony and beauty and yet it's being created by individual musicians, each of whom are playing their part. We don't hear the individual parts, we hear the whole well, how do we live as a whole? How do we live as a church family in which what is seen when people see Grace Bible Church is the harmony of all of our lives together, creating this beautiful spiritual music as we do life and share life together. And so that's what Paul is going to be getting into in this section of Scripture. And the first thing that he's going to tell us as we get into verse 1 of chapter 2 is, remember everything we share in Christ. Remember everything that we share in Christ. Look at verse 1 again. 
It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now, you and I share a special bond because of what we share in Jesus Christ. What brings us truly together, especially spiritually, is this common relationship that you and I each have with Jesus. And because each of us individually have this relationship with Jesus, He now pulls us together to be one body. And so He is the one who brings this unity to us. And Paul wants to see that Jesus brings more into our lives than forgiveness and eternal life. Obviously, that's essentially important, that Jesus brings forgiveness and eternal life. But he continues to bring things and give things into our lives that, that we experience each and every day. And Paul says, those are things that you share together as well. Now, this week, we have another little word that's really important. It's even smaller than last week. It's the word if. In verse 1, it says, so if. It's important that we realize that that word could, in fact, should be translated since or because. Since or because. You see, Paul uh, is not saying that these are some things that are in question. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. He's actually saying these are things that are in existence. These are things you have received from Jesus. And so what Paul is writing here is, so since there is encouragement in Christ because we have comfort from love and because we participate in the Spirit and because we have received affection and sympathy. These are statements of fact. Now, the reason that Paul does it this way, it's pretty cool because if you're looking at it in the original Greek, it's phrased in a way in which Paul is going out of his way to say, I am not speaking to you authoritatively as apostle here. I'm speaking to you as your friend. There, there, there's a gentleness and a graciousness in the way he is saying this. And it's as if he's saying and appealing to them from the heart, this is something I so want you to understand. This is something I so want you to experience. I want you to experience this joy that you can have in unity. And then he proceeds to share these things that you and I continuously are receiving from Jesus Christ. And the first he says is we have received and are receiving encouragement from Christ. We are receiving encouragement from Christ. The word encouragement here means to walk alongside of somebody in a way that strengthens them. It's kind of that idea of, of coming up alongside of somebody who's walking through or going through a difficult situation and we encourage them with that kind of, you know what, I'll walk with you. We'll get through this together. We're going to get to the other side of this together. You can handle this. You can do this. And you're not just yelling it from a distance, but you're up close. You're walking with them and you are actually giving them encouragement and support as they go it through. But it's the idea that you're walking through or moving forward together. This is when Jesus comes alongside of us and says, you know what? You can live this life that I've called you to live. You know what? You can get through this situation in a way that honors me. You can continue to grow and become less like yourself and more like me because I am walking with you and I will enable you. 
and he encourages us in a way that brings spiritual strength. Also, it says that we have received the comfort of love. The comfort of love is the idea of someone that just quietly walks up to you and very softly says, I'm here. I'm here. Communicating genuine concern, a genuine love, and says, you know what? I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. It's those times where Jesus comes up to us and says, I am supporting you where you are. I'm supporting you where you are. I'm supporting you in what you're experiencing in this moment. And so you put those two together and Jesus comes alongside and he encourages us to move forward. But then he also comes up alongside and says, I'm here to support you. And then Paul says, and we've been brought together by the Holy Spirit to experience this in one body. He says, when he says that we have this participation in the Spirit, it's referring to that ministry of the Holy Spirit in which he's taken all of us as individual believers and he has brought us to be part of one body called the church in Christ. And in our case, he brings us together in this specific expression of the body of Christ called Grace Bible Church. And the Holy Spirit brings us spiritual unity in which we experience these things together. And so Paul is letting us know finally that even as all of this is happening, we've got his encouragement, Jesus gives us his comfort, he brings us together so we can experience this together, and then he just wants to kind of put some emphasis, and he says, and he, he gives to you his affection and his sympathy. Maybe a better word, I think there is compassion. Jesus Christ is consistently bringing his affection. That's a love that comes out of the heart that's got emotion to it as well as that the agape love is a, is a love in which I choose to love you. Affection is it's this idea that Jesus cherishes us. He wants us. And he delivers that love. And compassion is the fact that Jesus Christ understands us and is ready to give us anything and everything we need in every moment of our lives. And he wants us to know that this will bring us joy. In the verse, uh, beginning of verse 2, he says, complete my joy. You experience these things, you complete my joy. We complete our joy. What does he mean by that? See, you and I have received all of these things from Jesus Christ individually, so we do say we have joy in the Lord. We have joy in Him. But now Paul is saying, but you also are receiving all of this together. But more importantly, you, Jesus is now beginning to deliver encouragement, comfort, and love through you. Jesus Christ often delivers what he wants us to have through other believers. You see, there are definitely times in which Jesus Christ is uniquely present. He manifests his presence to us. And I hope that's your daily experience in which you know as you're in your devotional closet that you are meeting with Christ and he is present with you. 
But then oftentimes Jesus Christ is going to manifest his presence through us, through each other. And Jesus Christ would deliver a word of encouragement to you through another believer. He will give to you the comfort that you need in the situation through another believer. He will let you know that you are loved and that, and, and that people care about you, and he'll do it through other believers. And so Paul is saying, we have joy in the Lord, but we can also experience joy in each other. Because that which Jesus Christ has given to us individually is what Jesus Christ gives us together as a church family. And since we are united as a church family, he often gives these things to us through each other. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make. So how do we experience this life of unity together? This being encouraging and comforting and loving and cherishing and, and, and compassionate toward each other. Well, we need to be connected and on page together. We need to be connected and on page together. In verse 2, it says, Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's saying, well, you got to be connected and you need to be on page together. Now, let's just sort of um, be, be open with each other and acknowledge that this is probably true. Um, anytime a group of people get together, even Christians, we will never agree on everything. Can we, can we agree on that? <laughs> There are times when you get a bunch of people together and you say, well, are we ever going to agree on anything? But there's a reason for that because each one of us come into this church family. We've got different backgrounds. We've gone through different experiences. We have different perspectives on life. We're at different stages of life, and that affects all of this. And there's different needs of those different stages of life. And all of this creates this lens through which you and I see people in situations. And because we are so unique, we at first initially are going to see the same thing in different ways. And that's just what it is. And so the question comes up, how do we then get on page together? If we start with all this diversity of perspective, opinion, and and, and so forth, then how do we get on this page together? How do we connect together as a church family and then be on page together and what we're going to do moving forward. And Paul says that the real issue, this is a real issue here because just remember that in Philippi, you've got these two influential women who are at odds with each other. And people in the church are starting to take sides. And so the unity of this church is being threatened. It's probably why Paul is dealing with this so early in the letter. And so this is a real issue to them. So in that kind of situation where there's not just differences of opinion, but actual disagreements with each other about things, how do we get on page together? Well, the first thing Paul says as we go through verse 2 is, you need to be biblically focused and sound. We need to be biblically focused and sound. That's what he means when he says, we need to be of the same mind. Literally, it says, we need to think the same thing. And the only thing that you and I can agree with is Scripture. When you and I open the Bible together, we're looking at a common truth. 
And when we do that, it brings us together. We begin to think the same thing because we are seeing what God is saying about a situation. And so unity begins with Scripture. Now, to be biblically focused and sound means that we have this commitment that we are going to get to know the Bible. We're going to grow in our understanding of Scripture. We are going to be committed to applying those principles not only to our individual lives, but to our church life. And we will walk in obedience in a way in which we are transformed by this truth, and we will do it together. We are of one mind when we are in Scripture together. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, He writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The way that God renews our mind is through his word. The way that God transforms our mind is through his word. And so we agree to allow the Bible and its truths and principles to guide us as we live together as a church family. We agree that as we gather, not only on Sunday mornings in Bible study, but when we're ready to make decisions or when we've had a disagreement about something, we say, okay, let's step aside of our personal spots here and let's gather together at Scripture and the Bible and let's see what God has said. And we agree that having opened the Bible together... We will live by the Bible together. And we will be of one mind. And then we have the same love. He says that we are are to have the same love. And that is, we are to share the love that Jesus has given to us with each other. The same love that I have received from Christ, I now share with you. And you share with me. It's the words of Jesus in the the upper room in John 13 where he said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The love I've shared with you, now you share with each other, Jesus says. And we've talked quite a bit about that and how the different places in Scripture that define what that looks like. But also, we are to share this love with everyone equally. We share it equally. We do not show partiality in who we love, and we do not show favoritism. James, the half-brother of Jesus, had a lot to say about this in his um, letter that he wrote, the letter of James, or Epistle of James. And he writes in chapter 2, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. As always, James is blunt and to the point. 
Favoritism is not just wrong, it's sin. Denise and I saw an example of this many, many years ago along with our family when we, one of the things we'd always wanted to do was go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. You may be familiar with Jim Cymbala and the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. We just always had a desire. I sat under Jim Cymbala's teaching several times at pastor conferences and we just really, and I'll just say it was unique worship experience. But as we were there, we found out that they were having a special evening service that night, and I believe it was Christmas time. And so we decided we were going to stay. And so we, uh, I went to the car and I brought in, I think we had a couple of apples and maybe a, a bar of some, or a, um, some kind of food. I'm sorry. And so we stayed right there. And that evening, as, the, as we were appro- they were approaching the time for the service, we were in the balcony, we looked down, and they took some ropes, and they roped off this large section right down front, front center. Well, as we found out later, what the Brooklyn Tabernacle does every single Sunday night is they bring in dozens and dozens of homeless people off the street. And they feed them a dinner, and then they usher them in for the evening service, and they say, you are our guests, and they sat them right there, front center of the church right off the streets. And I thought, what does that say to these folks about the value God places on their lives? That's expressing love without showing partiality. Already, as we've been here, too, in this chapter, we've seen that Paul gives us some practical ways that we can be sharing the love of Jesus. He's said, you and I can be encouraging each other to move forward in our walk with the Lord. We can be supporting each other as we face the challenges of life, and we can be showing each other affection and compassion. But share the same love, Paul writes. And then he says, share the same purpose and mission. Make sure you share the same purpose and mission. He puts it this way. He says, being in full accord and of one mind. Being in full accord in one mind. That's had the same purpose and mission. See, the purpose and mission that's been given to us by Jesus Christ himself, we know is the great commandment and the great commission. And so as we come together with all the diversity that makes up any church family, we will be connected and be on page together if we agree that we are going to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and do it together. We are going to love each other as Jesus loved us, and we are going to be in the best possible position to share the love and gospel of Christ with the people in the world around us. You know, being biblically sound and committed to living by the Bible together, and then loving each other as Jesus has loved us, being focused on the same purpose and mission of living out the great commandment and great commission That's the definition of a healthy church family. It's the definition of a healthy church family. And it's important to realize that programs and ministries do not create a healthy church. Relationships do. Relationships do. And the ministries that we do together grow out of the relationship that we share together. And that's what Paul is is talking about here. But he's got a caution to share with us, and that is be sure to pursue humility toward each other. 
Make sure that you're pursuing humility toward each other. He says in verse 3 and 4, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. First of all, he says, do not give in to self-centeredness and pride. Don't give in to self-centeredness and pride. That word rivalry here in the ESV means selfish ambition. And selfish ambition meant to pursue a personal agenda through manipulation and personal attacks. Interestingly enough, it's a word that was used to describe politicians in ancient Greece. Not much has changed. (laughs) But it's the idea that I first, I got something that I want, and so the first thing I will do is I will try to manipulate you to do what I want you to do, to get what I want to get. Maybe a little flattery here, maybe a veiled threat there, but I'm going to try to manipulate you. And if that doesn't work, then I will attack you. I will seek to discredit you so that people will not believe or want to follow you. And then if that doesn't work, then I will just flatten you and just get what I want. But it's having a personal ambition that says, I'm going to get what I want. I'll manipulate. Then I will discredit. And if necessary, I will steamroll. But my personal thing is is more important to me than my relationship with you. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't get involved in that kind of selfish ambition. The word conceit that's here is really pretty funny because it means empty glory. <laughs> it means empty glory. It's that idea that you have an exaggerated view of yourself. So don't, don't uh, pursue things out of a sense of pride, out of that sense of thinking more highly of yourself, looking for the applause or the affirmation of people. But he says, in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. The idea of humility is this seeing yourself in a right way, to see yourself as God sees you. You see, in Christ, you are invaluable to God. Uniquely created, uniquely gifted, and deeply loved. But in relation to other people, we ought to see each other with humility because we know who we are outside of Christ. In light of the perfection of Jesus and all that he's done for us and his mercy and forgiveness, we now extend to each other humility. We begin to see each other as more significant. As he says here, which means someone who surpasses or excels. Like Jesus, we are servants. And so therefore we think of others before we think of ourselves. And so Paul says, in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. One old pastor put it this way. He said, it's not that you think little of yourself or that you belittle yourself. You simply don't think of yourself at all. As you put others as a priority. And so, therefore, in humility, he says, put the interest of others before your own. And this is the idea that we stop and we really listen to each other. We really get to know each other. We really understand each other and our needs and our perspectives. And then we show through actions that we care. And we serve one another with humility. 
Remember that everything we share in Christ together, be connected on page together with the same purpose and mission and pursue humility toward each other. And Paul's got one more thing to say to us this morning. It's just a little thing. He says, then do it like Jesus. Do it like Jesus did it. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, Jesus is both our model and he's our motivation for this desire to work towards spiritual unity. See, Jesus is the eternal God and creator, but he was willing to take on the limitations of humanity. Jesus deserved to be seen in the fullness of all of his glory and worshipped as God, but when he came to this earth, he set aside his glory, and he was rejected, spit upon, and then murdered. He deserved to be bowed down to as Lord with full obedience, but he came to be a servant instead. And Jesus deserved to be judge over sinful humankind, but he willingly died and was crucified and punished for our sin. And so Paul says, just take a good look at Jesus and then set aside your pride. Set aside any sense of entitlement. Set aside any thought of being superior or better than someone else. Put aside your self-interest and put on the mind of Christ. Pursue humility toward each other. Be connected and on page together. And then share with each other what Jesus has shared with you. And when we do that, Paul says, we experience not only the joy of the Lord, but we'll experience true joy in each other. That will enable us to become inwardly strong as a church family and then outwardly focused as we go out on mission. And then we all look forward to the day when we see Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 fulfilled, where it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we do look forward to that day when Jesus Christ is revealed in all of his glory. But now may our lives reflect his in his humility. God, may we truly extend to one another the encouragement and the comfort and the love. May we be on page together in purpose and mission. And then may we share with one another the humility of servants to the glory and honor of his name. And it's in Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.